So I'd like to, to begin um, this talk with um, saying something about insight. And um, as, as the days unfold, and some people were surprised today to find out we're on day four, uh, which means we're, well, by now we're past the halfway point, if you're counting. And um, so as the days unfold, as we deepen into practice, um, there may be more moments of, of insight that arise, you know, some kind of, of clear seeing or um, seeing something in a different way than we have before, understanding something. And I'd really like to just... Um, really draw the attention to that somehow a little bit and, and to say that um, it's, it's worthwhile when there's insight, it's worthwhile taking a little bit of time to absorb it, to feel it, um, and also to, to see how we can actually apply it in, in our practice. How can I actually apply it? And it can feel... Um, a little bit almost like sacrilege to say that, you know, because often when there is, when there is some insight, and, it, you know, it doesn't mean, when I say insight, I don't necessarily mean, you know, some kind of like, experience, you know, it's not like, you know, I can feel that there's people sitting in the room now thinking, I haven't had any insight. <laughs> so it's not necessarily something dramatic. It's any, any moment when we actually see something, um, clearly or in a fresh way or in a deeper way um, than, than we have before. Um, and, and often in those moments it feels um, there's something in the experience that can feel so uh, pure even that we actually don't, you know, it feels like sacrilegious to do anything with it, to try and kind of, you know, do anything with it. Um, but the encouragement is just to feel if, if we can both really absorb that, um, feel into it, and then uh, maybe, you know, in, like enjoy it, absolutely, and then see how can I actually apply this? How can I apply this as a way of looking? You know, I've really been exploring ways of looking in my practice, and um, as I go about my, you know, business of being a, alive here. And... I'll try to give an example to make this more clear. But first I'll give an image. (laughs) So when when Nathan and I were talking about this, um, he said that he had this image of um, rehydrating insights. Because often what happens in our experience, you know, we go on retreat, we're in certain conditions, insights come, it's like, yes, you know, I've got it, I'm never going to forget this, you know, I know it. And then, as nature of things, it fades it, it, it often fades, you know, and, and maybe if you reflect just in the last few days, maybe it's already happened with some insight, or if you reflect on your practice up till now, there's certainly been these moments that feel unforgettable, unshakable, you know, and then it fades over time. Um, so that's why the, the real invitation to, 
when insights arise, to really enjoy, feel, rest into them, but then also take some time to digest and see how we can apply, because the application of the insight actually keeps it um, more in the in the center of our awareness <coughs> and our lives. You know, it keeps it kind of it keeps it hydrated. It keeps it. You know, if we think of something that fades away or shrivels away, so this keeps it hydrated. Now, when we speak about rehydrating insights, and I have to say again, this is Nathan's image, which is great. I'm just giving him the credit. Rehydrating insights. What it what it basically means is, you know, even those insights that we've had and have faded in their in their brilliance, in their um, you know intensity, um, they're not. They haven't disappeared. Yeah, they're still in the system. And sometimes we even remember them, you know, so there's a memory, but there isn't a sense of the immediacy of, you know, oh, how do I connect to it? And so um, the rehydration of the insights and the image is, um, that came to me, which maybe was what also uh, inspired him, was that uh, we were teaching a trekking retreat in Finland this summer. And, um, you know, it was a trekking retreat, so we were carrying everything. And uh, the organizers of this retreat had spent um, some time in um, drying vegetables, drying vegetables, so that we would have vegetables along the trek. And so, you, you know, we'd be carrying these, these bags, you know, be a bag maybe this size, full of shriveled, dried things, and which looked very unappealing. <laughs> and then, you know, you'd take just a tiny handful of that and put it into a pot of boiling water and, you know, vibrant broccoli, you know, vibrant peas and beans. I can't remember what we had, this whole range of things. Um, And it was so precious, you know, it was like in this, you know, trekking and very simple food and then to have. So this is the image and we can do that with (coughs) insights as well, not by putting them into (coughs) boiling water, but by remembering that they're there, that they're still um, within us and that by um, picking them up again and saying, okay, here's this insight. How do I apply it? How do I use that insight to look in a different way in my experience in my life? So we apply them and, and um, that can really help to, for, them to, for us to reconnect and for them to be applicable in our lives. So a couple of examples of this just to, to make it uh, a little bit more clear, hopefully. Um, <coughs> Maybe I'll just do one so that I don't, so this talk doesn't take forever. Um, so this is, a, you know, something that's very, uh, that happens to me a lot. Um, I think it even happened this morning. Um, I was walking from the morning of uh, meditation and I'd, I hadn't slept well at night. So I was, I could feel a degree of irritation and aversion in the being as I was walking, as I was getting closer to the dining room, um, I could see that kind of getting built up into um, something, you know, an energy, just as Nathan spoke about yesterday, the, the links in the chain, you know, that some contact with the tiredness, unpleasant in the body, you know, the Vedana's unpleasant, then the, the, the cling, the, it, this intensifies and there's clinging and there's a real sense of wanting to get rid of it into something, which gives birth to, okay, as I'm getting closer to the dining room, I'm sure Nathan's done something wrong this morning and I can just get irritated with him, you know. 
So this is, you know, classic thing that happens to me quite a lot. And so here's where, you know, previous insight can get rehydrated and used and embodied, you know, of, okay, you know, I've been here before, I can see this going on, Um, I know he's not out to get me, yeah, you know, I know this is a pattern of mine playing out here, And, and that just helps to, you know, the pattern is still playing, but there's no stickiness, and there's no, uh, th- there's the ability to step back and actually not, not um, give birth to an act of irritation in, in speech um, or in action. So, you know, we have, we have insights into ourselves, into how we work. This is just one very kind of mundane example of how that can, can operate uh, for us. And of course, every time that the way of looking, the... Um, the choice is from the insight and not from the, the pattern um, that leads to suffering, then what gets strengthened is the insight way of looking rather than the pattern way of looking. So it's not just in the moment, but it's a, um, a kind of a reinvigorating or supporting, uh, supporting, nourishing what is skillful. So yeah, that was a bit about insight, which was meant to be very short. Interesting beginning. So what I'd primarily like to look at um, this evening is um, quality or attitude or practice of acceptance. And acceptance may feel like it doesn't fit so well with the teaching so far, perhaps, I don't know. It is also a deceptively simple term, you know, it's, oh, acceptance, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, know that. But as we practice and we kind of bring this attitude of acceptance more and more into the practice, more and more into the moment-to-moment unfolding, uh, we can see that it actually allows for more and more levels of deepening of the practice, more and more levels of deepening. And I'd like to begin by looking at um, an area of of self-acceptance, self-acceptance, which is really a a crucial step in this (coughs) um, process we're undergoing here of actually looking at this sense of self or the nature of self that we have. So this, this first step of looking at a self-acceptance. And again, not in a, you know, I'm all good kind of way necessarily, but acceptance, self-acceptance <coughs> is something that we need to do on, on many, many levels. You know, there's a lot of things we need to accept, you know, <coughs> primarily the fact that we're, born into a, a human body, you know, and the human body is subject to sickness and ill health, it's subject to aging, it's subject to death, you know, this is something we need to accept, you know, it's not just uh, also um, the full range of our emotional experience is something we need to accept, you know, that we 
have both beautiful states of emotion and also difficult ones and also boring ones. You know, that we are, as human beings, we experience the whole range, the whole range of emotional life. You know, what we like, what we don't like, what we don't care about. And it's important to to bring this in because we are also products of of society and our societies um, have a different message to this message of accepting. You know, the message in society is often that there's something wrong with us if we're sick or we're unwell or uh, we're facing a lot of challenges in our lives. That means there's something wrong with you, with me. So in meditation practice, we can apply self-acceptance as a way of looking, as we have been using different ways of looking here. We can apply it as a way of looking at our lives, at our experience, a way of looking that increases well-being, increases well-being. It reduces suffering and it deepens wisdom reduces suffering and it deepens wisdom. And what it means to really bring self-acceptance as a, as a, or acceptance as a way of looking is to be willing to be with our experience, to be with our experience, to open to it, to welcome it. So a moment of happiness is something that becomes acceptable. A moment of unhappiness is something that becomes acceptable. A moment of fear is something that can be acceptable to us. And so in this paying attention, in a welcoming, accepting way to our experience, to whatever arises, we actually find that You know, there's nothing in our inner world that doesn't have a place that needs to be thrown away, that needs to get rid of, to be rid of. And we can allow things to arise without being a problem. You know, I've said that a lot, without being a problem. So the Buddha encouraged us to look at, and we've said this a few times, encouraged us to look at our sense of um, solidity and permanence, both regarding ourselves, regarding ourselves, and regarding phenomena. And he encouraged us to do that as, um, as a path, as a path to liberation from suffering. You know, so that's, the, that's, the, that's where we're heading, that's why we're doing this. And when we look at our inner, inner processes, when we look at our inner life like we have been over the days here, what stands out, one of the things that stands out is the constant movement, the constant agitation of the inner life. You know, it's so busy in here with wanting, with fearing, with um, st- striving, you know, trying to um, manipulate external and internal conditions so that 
things are as we want them or as we think we want them. And then if we get them right, then there's a lot of activity of trying to keep them that way. Yeah. So if I've gotten it right, so okay, I've got the practice finally, and I've got the right posture, this is it. I've got the best meditation cushion in the world. It's so comfortable. I've got it. And now I really need to work hard to keep it. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to change. It's going to change. And I'm sure we've all had moments like that here already, you know, probably even just today. You know, we might be sitting here in the hall in meditation and the mind is occupied with something. You know, we're worrying about something, we're fantasizing about something, we're trying to fix or solve something, uh, we're lost in some story. And then we, we wake up and we realize what's happening. You know, we realize, ah, oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually concerned, I'm worrying, I'm busy with something that isn't here right now. It's not here right now. I'm off somewhere. And I actually don't need to think about it right now. I actually don't need to be preoccupied by it right now. And often with that, you know, there's a dropping. There's a dropping of the story. There's a dropping of the activity. And suddenly, we might just notice, you know, the that there's some sun streaming in through the window (laughs) and touching our skin, or that there is a sense of well-being in the body, or that with that dropping, there's there's a sense of well-being in the mind. Or we hear the, the bird singing. You know, we suddenly notice what is actually here. So this layer, this habit of busyness around self-concern, whether you know, around real things or around things that we're often getting really caught up in, it keeps us at a distance from, from what is actually unfolding in our experience. It keeps, keeps us apart. And it stops us from being open to what is here and now, to the scope of our lives. So as we practice, as we practice, we get in touch more and more with a place of stillness and equanimity that is beyond these movements and this intensity of the dramas that happen inside our heads and bodies a lot of the time. Yeah, We, we get in touch with the stillness, the place of stillness and equanimity that is beyond that. And acceptance as a way of looking can really support that. You know, so even sometimes <laughs> noticing a drama that we're engaged in and just saying, okay, <coughs> this is a drama that I'm engaged in, it's going on right now. And just accepting that that's what's unfolding sometimes can allow us to drop into the stillness that underlies that activity. And when that happens, when we can see, we can, we can accept, we can stop struggling with experience or trying to control it, we rest into that stillness and that 
is a real resource for us. It's a real resource for us. It opens up clarity. It opens up um, deeper seeing. And it allows nourishment that brings further insight and further energy for investigation. It brings more insight and more energy to investigate, to look at our life. And this gets more and more interested. So, it's a quote from, um, this is a snippet of a dialogue between um, a teacher, and I think he was an Advaita teacher, an Indian teacher, called Nisargadatta Maharaj. He was Advaita, wasn't he? And a student. And so Nisargadatta Maharaj says, the essence of pleasure is acceptance. Whatever may be the situation, if it's acceptable, it is pleasant. If it's unacceptable, it is painful. It's really interesting. Yeah. Whatever may be the situation, whatever may be the situation, if it's acceptable, it is pleasant. If it's unacceptable, it is painful. And the student responds by saying, pain is not acceptable. Pain is not acceptable. And so here's the response from Nisargadatta Maharaj. He says, why not? Why not? Did you ever try? Why not? Did you ever try? Try and you can find in pain a joy which pleasure cannot yield. For the simple reason that acceptance of pain takes you much deeper than pleasure does. The personal self, by its very nature, is constantly pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. The ending of this pattern is the ending of suffering. He says a lot in quite a a short piece here. So the personal self, by its very nature, is constantly pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. The ending of this pattern is the ending of suffering. And so, important here to understand that we need to apply this skillfully um, and heartfully. So, it doesn't mean that pain doesn't need to be attended to. Yeah? So, if there's physical pain or illness, if there's um, emotional pain or illness, it's not about (coughs) accepting it, meaning ignoring it, yeah? It means we still need to attend to what the pain is calling the attention to, but we accept the existence of pain at the same time, you know? It's not, we're not fighting it, we're not struggling against it. And the, um, this, this quote of Nisargadatta Maharaj is very similar to um, an old Buddhist proverb, which um, I really like. It says something very similar. It says, Sukha, which is happiness, is that which can be born with ease. So happiness is that which can be born with ease. Dukkha, 
which is the opposite of happiness, is that which cannot be born with ease. I, I love this quote. I really love this definition of happiness and unhappiness. Yeah, so happiness is that which can be born with ease. And dukkha, the painful, the uncomfortable uh, suffering, is that which cannot be born with ease. So this is really pointing to the non-fixed nature of things. You know, so the happiness or the unhappiness is not in the thing, the event, the person, the behavior. It's not in that. The happiness, what determines if something is experienced as happiness or as dukkha, is whether we can bear it with ease or not. Yeah? Whether we can bear it with ease or not. Or another way of saying it, whether we can accept it or not. <laughs> yeah, can be another way of saying that. And this, this evening I went for a, we went for a walk and I saw um, one of the, uh, the, the older people that, that live here. Um, <coughs> and he was... It looked like he was going home or something like that, and he was carrying a, a bucket over his arm. And then he stopped because he saw some, um, it looked like, I, I interpreted his behavior, that he saw some wood that would be good to gather and, and take home for the fire. So he stopped and he broke um, a piece of wood into two, and then he um, took it and got his bucket back over his arm. And, and I was looking at him doing this, and and I was looking at his, um, at his arms and um, the lack of hands. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this about some of the people here, that there's, 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 nothing, there's no fingers, and sometimes there's no hand even. You know, there's just a stump at the end. Um, and yet just looking at him, and I'm often really touched by the people here in that way, there was, the sense was that he was bearing it with ease. (laughs) Yeah, like there was no sense of, I can't do this. There was no sense of, this is difficult for me. There was just a very natural way of doing things um, with his body as it is. You know, no sense of, of what we would call a disability, you know at all. I was very, really, really deeply touched by that. And, you know, it's one of the things I love about this place is that we can see that and it's a real, um, (coughs) real mirror and real teaching uh, for me about possibility and about what can be born with ease and and what is happiness and, and what brings happiness and unhappiness. And, you know, equally there's people, um, maybe less dramatic, but there's people here in the retreat who are experiencing physical discomfort of, you know, sometimes some, quite some intensity, and yet they're finding themselves feeling happy and peaceful, you know, and, and that's really interesting. So what is it that allows that? You know, there is pain, there is discomfort in the body, but that doesn't necessarily lead to suffering. It doesn't necessarily lead to suffering. And so, 
our resources, our tools, our ways of looking at the experiences of our lives are actually, um, they really play a part in what we can bear with ease and what we can't. You know, so what brings us happiness and what doesn't? What brings us unhappiness? So there's another, another saying, I, I think it's more modern than this other proverb, Buddhist proverb I said. I can't remember the source, maybe Nathan will know. Um, from, from the Dharma teachings that says, um, you know, pain is a part of life, but suffering is optional. Do you know? No. So pain is a part of life, but suffering is optional. And again, it points to, to this, you know, dukkha, that which cannot be born with ease, which is not an inherently defined thing. And the Buddha illustrated this um, in, a, in a simile that's really well known of, of the two arrows, of the two arrows, you know, that um, our relationship to dukkha, our relationship to the discomfort, the dissatisfactory nature um, of, of life is like someone who's been shot by one arrow and then, um, then we shoot a second arrow at ourselves. You know, we increase the suffering. And so what, he's, what he was saying is that some, you know, dukkha, pain is inevitable in life. You know, it's part of having a body, as I said in the beginning. A body is subject to pain, it's subject to illness, it's subject to decay. So that's part of. But our re- response or reaction to pain you know, to not getting what we want, to getting what we don't want, you know, it's not just physical, often is like a increase of the pain, increase of the suffering. So layers of reactivity, of contraction, of resistance that we add on to the experience. So when I have a difficult mind state and I notice that in meditation, if I then add judgment to that difficult mind state, that's the second error. Yeah, I'm adding a sense of, oh, you're, you know, a worthless meditator or whatever it is. I'm adding the second error. Or if there's um, pain in the body, you know, pain in the knee, pain in the back, And then there's contraction and resistance around that. You can actually explore it in, in your meditation practice. The pain actually intensifies. It actually intensifies the pain because there's resistance and contraction and tension around the already painful experience. <coughs> so <coughs> wherever we can relax, when we can accept, when we can let go, of some of the layers of resistance, the dukkha actually lessens, the dukkha is reduced. Yeah, the dukkha is reduced and the range of what we can bear with ease grows, becomes bigger, wider. And often, you know, our experience, the Buddha very kindly spoke about two arrows. Our experience can actually be of multiple arrows 
you know, so many arrows one after the other. Um, but each one of those arrows is, is a possibility to, to wake up, is a possibility to engage in a different way, is a possibility to accept, to let go, to start um, kind of relaxing the tension. So there's a lot of dukkha in this talk. <laughs> the Buddha also spoke of our relationship to all phenomena as carrying the seed of dukkha within it. So our relationship to all phenomena actually carries the seed of dukkha, carries the seed of suffering in it. And it's not because we're bad. It's because we have a habit, a tendency, a pattern of being to look for lasting happiness in things which are impermanent and subject to decay. That's, that's where we're conditioned to look for happiness. But having that expectation leads to suffering because it cannot be fulfilled. Yeah, it cannot be fulfilled. And, you know, you may have seen this today as we've opened to impermanence. As we've explored impermanence as a way of looking, we can see that everything changes. Everything changes. So looking for ground, looking for constancy, looking for um, lasting happiness in that which is inconstant in itself, it doesn't work. Whereas opening and accepting the alive changing, the alive and changing aspect of phenomena, of all things, including ourselves, opens us to a healthier relationship. So it's really important to, um, to say here that acceptance in the context of Dharma teachings is not passive. It's often something that we... Um, associate with some degree of passivity. It's not at all passive. It's a very active choice and an active cultivation, something that we cultivate. And it's an active relaxation around tension, around resistance, around um, habits that we have. So if we go back to the example I gave at the beginning of the talk of noticing an aversive, irritable mind state this morning, you know, that first step of actually, well, it's the second, the first is the recognition that it's there, and then acceptance has to be there before anything else can happen. Before anything else can happen, because that means that I stop resisting and my energies are freed to do something else. I'm not caught up, limited and just that habit of resisting what is here, what I don't like, what is unpleasant. And here is when it gets even more interesting. So as we become more intimate, as we become more accepting of our own pain, our own difficulty, our own sorrow, as we allow ourselves to stay with an open heart around these 
areas of our life where we want to shut down, where we want to protect by closing off. As we do this, we also start to connect with other beings and with the pain and the sorrow and the challenges and the difficulties of others. We start to connect on a different level. Because we no longer avoid or block or try to cut off our own pain, we also no longer have to do that with the pain of others. Yeah, the capacity that grows to be in contact with what I find difficult in my life, within myself. That same capacity is then freed to also be open to the suffering of others. We don't need to shut down when we face that either. And so this means that when harm is being done to ourselves or another, we can take action. You know, again, acceptance isn't necessarily passive. But when we see the movement in our own mind causing suffering, or the unavoidable circumstances of our lives that cause suffering, then acceptance is a really powerful practice. Yeah, a really powerful practice of this is what is right now, and I need to accept it before any other action can come through. So this becomes um, very um, powerful sometimes with people who are facing their own death. Yeah, facing their own death because full acceptance of life means also full acceptance of death. Very difficult. Very difficult. I'm teaching a 10-month program at the moment um, with people who are um, looking at these areas of sickness, illness, death, through service work. They're all volunteering or doing this support work um, either professionally or in their personal lives or as voluntary work. And we did an exercise um, a month ago of, of looking at this, um, what is called in the Buddhist practice, the, the, daily, the, four day, the four daily recollections. And they'd already been in this program for, for four and a half months. <laughs> so we're already looking at this for quite a while in different ways. And we did an exercise where um, they, they sat with someone else and had to um, speak aloud the recollection and then what comes up in response, you know. And the recollections are, you know, I'm of a na- I am of a nature um, to get sick. Sickness is unavoidable, you know. And then you need to say what comes up in response. I'm of a nature to age, Aging is unavoidable. I am of a nature to die. Death is unavoidable. And it was, it was so powerful, um, this exercise. Um, and, and people were really at their edge, at the limit. They, some people found it incredibly hard um, to do, to really just take um, you know, a few minutes and really look at, you know, we all know that we're going to die. Yeah, but do we? 
do we? What does that mean to actually really come close to it? So full acceptance of life means full acceptance of death. And I'd like to, to read two quotes of um, people really facing that reality in a much more um, urgent way than, than we tend to. So the first one is um, from someone called Gavin Harrison. He's a Dharma teacher from the U.S., and um, he, was, he was diagnosed as HIV positive quite early on in the, in the AIDS epidemic. And so this is, um, he went to do a three-month retreat uh, quite, quite a short time after the diagnosis. And as, as terrible as AIDS is um, now in, in, in Western world, um, at that point it was, it was a, a death sentence. Um, very horrible death sentence. So this is, this is a quote from, from him, from his book. And he says, um, Early one morning I was standing under a tree. The leaves were very beautiful in their fall colors. As the sun came up and touched the top of the tree, a multitude of leaves dropped down upon me. Something within broke and I began crying. I cried and cried and cried. I wept for my own lot. This was a terrible grieving for what I felt was the loss of my future. I felt almost betrayed. Then it changed into a deep sadness. There was no part of me that assumed I would be around even to see the next leaf fall from the branches above my head and land on the ground at my feet. Everything appeared fragile and uncertain. At times, I felt the deepest gratitude for the fact that I knew I was going to die one day. Around Thanksgiving, when the snow came, my mind started to quiet down. I began to experience a peace and a calm that I had never known before. I saw that it was possible to be balanced and okay with the sadness, fear and pain and accept these as wholeheartedly as I did the rapture and happiness that, there, that were there also. This was a time of great appreciation and gratitude. It's quite... Yeah, amazingly striking thing to share. You know, that time of knowing death is imminent and that becoming a time of great gratitude and appreciation. And I'd like to read another short quote from a woman called Treya Killam. Um, probably some of you have read the book Grace and Grit, which her partner wrote about her illness and death. And the book has um, 
pieces from both of them, from him and also from her journal. So this is a part, a piece from her journal. Learning to make friends with cancer. Learning to make friends with the possibility of an early and perhaps painful death has taught me a great deal about making friends with myself as I am and a great deal about making friends with life as it is. I know that there are a lot of things I can't change. I can't force life to make sense or to be fair. This growing acceptance of life as it is, with all the sorrow, the pain, the suffering and the tragedy, has brought a kind of peace. I find that I feel ever more connected with all beings, with all beings who suffer in a really genuine way. I find a more open sense of compassion and I find an ever steadier desire to help in whatever way I can. For this, I'm grateful. Because I can no longer ignore death, I pay more attention to life. So we don't have a lot of choice about some of the most important areas of our lives. <coughs> we don't have a choice about our death, for example. We can't stop it happening. We can't control the circumstances of it. We don't have a choice over the body that we were born into or who our parents were, or how much love we did or didn't receive. You know, some of the most important areas of our lives. We don't have a choice over the majority of our personality as much as we would like to think we do. You know, it's, it's here. It seems that a lot of our choices are in what we would consider little things. Yeah, little things. Like how kind we are to ourselves and each other. Like how much value we place on love and compassion, on deepening of wisdom. We have choice in little things, like the quality of care and attention that we give to our lives, that we give to each moment of our lives. So little things. But it's these little things that make a difference. It's these little things that make a difference. They wear away at our pain and our suffering. Yeah, each moment of kindness, each moment of compassion, each moment of paying attention, each moment of prioritizing wisdom and clear seeing and depth. 
they wear away at our pain and our suffering. And as we gain trust in these kinds of little actions, as we gain trust in these kinds of little actions, it's like a river wearing away its course through mountains, wearing away at the rock that was our heart when it was closed. And we realize that small actions, the prioritizing of love and of care, and the opening of our heart makes happiness possible, makes happiness possible. So let's have a quiet moment to end. May our capacity to accept (coughs) the conditions of our lives continue and grow. May we deepen in wisdom. May we deepen in compassion. And may our practice together be for the benefit and the welfare of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.